basically comes down to whose schedule is everyone else on? Meaning when someone says something, you have to stop what you're doing to respond to them. If someone can take your time by pulling off chunks of your calendar whenever they want, then if you don't have your own time, then you have no control over your day. When you have no control over your day, you end up working longer than you should. In a startup world where scaling fast and exponential growth are the watchwords, Jason Fried, the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, is a strong proponent of running, or maybe I should say strolling, in the other direction. Rather than chasing hockey stick-like growth curves and running employees ragged, he prefers to take the long view, believing that growing your business, slowly but surely, is how you create something that's built to last. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a new podcast about pacing yourself, where I'll be exploring how you can be more productive, creative, and resilient, all through the simple act of slowing down. Since this is the first episode of the podcast, let me give you a little backstory on what it's all about. I was recently doing an event here in Brooklyn, where I live, and I asked the audience two questions. The first was, how many of you would say that you work really hard? Almost every hand in the room went up. The second question was, how many of you think you could keep working the way that you do now for the next 10 or even 20 years? Almost every hand in the room went down. In other words, everyone was working hard, but they were also working at a pace that was unsustainable. This isn't really surprising because burnout is on the rise. In a nationwide survey about the quality of our working lives that's been conducted regularly over the past 25 years, Researchers recently found that one out of every two people polled said that they were consistently exhausted because of work. That's compared to only one in five people when the study was conducted over 20 years ago. Being overwhelmed, overscheduled, and overstimulated has become the default state of existence for most of us. And it's not like we're crazy. We work at this pace because we're ambitious, because we want to achieve more, because we want to build amazing things. But the fact of the matter is, running ourselves ragged and always trying to figure out how to cram more and more stuff into our schedules is actually the worst way to try to be more productive. And it also stifles our creativity. I believe, and the science backs me up on this, that we do higher quality work and feel a stronger sense of meaning in our lives when we're able to take our time, when we can hurry slowly. So that's what this show is all about, leveling up by slowing down. As the podcast unfolds, I'll be exploring 12 themes that I think are particularly relevant to learning how to pace ourselves. Topics like how to manage your attention in the face of constant interruptions, why getting back in touch with your physical body will spark more aha moments, what to do about the stress induced by today's toxic news cycle, and how embracing analog tools can really supercharge your creative process. I'll be teasing out these themes through a series of weekly conversations with a wide range of artists, writers, researchers, and entrepreneurs, all with the goal of uncovering new perspectives and giving you actionable ideas for navigating work and life at a more sustainable pace. But that's all down the road. Today, I'm kicking off the podcast with a theme that's near and dear to the hearts of overachievers everywhere, work-life balance. Recently, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about questions like, what does working hard really mean? And how do we balance taking care of ourselves with pursuing our ambitions? And perhaps most importantly, how do we define enough? 
The first person who came to mind when I picked this theme was today's guest, Jason Fried, co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, a company that has been making project management and team communication software for almost 20 years. I've long admired Jason's approach to building a business, one that rejects the insidious scale-fast startup mentality in favor of taking a calmer, more measured approach. And at this very moment, Jason and his Basecamp co-founder, David Heinemeiner Hansen, are in the process of putting together what they've learned along the way into a book called The Calm Company, due out in 2018, which is about how to build a business in a sane, sustainable manner. Since he was already deep in the midst of meditating on what calm looks like in the workplace, it felt like the perfect time to chat with Jason. We dug into the challenges of working in a world where everyone expects an immediate response, how to put hard edges in your day and stick to a 40-hour work week, and why shared calendars are an evil invention that steals our time. Let's dive in. So you founded Basecamp in 1999, so you've been running a small business for 18 years now, and you've also been running a small business that is built largely around a tool, Basecamp, that's designed to help other people manage their projects and their workflow. And so I'm curious, in broad strokes, how do you think the way that we work as humans has kind of changed since you started Basecamp? Good question. It's changed in some big ways and hasn't changed at all. I um, mean, the fundamentals are still the same. Like people need to have a way to communicate. They need to be able to track the work that they need to do. They need to be dis- able to discuss the work that they're tracking and keep the conversations in context. Um, they need to know when things are due. They need to have a place to make decisions. They need to have a place to make announcements. They need to have a place to have more ephemeral discussions that aren't on the record. There's a variety of these things that people just need to work. And you can do that in person. You can do it over software. You can do it a lot of different ways. Um, so I think fundamentally that's the same. Um, what's changed, though, is I, I think the speed at which um, people expect conversations to happen, uh, the expectations of immediate response, um, that, that I think is, I think it's actually gotten worse. Um, and especially in the last few years, it's gotten considerably worse, where basically people expect they expect that if they say something, somebody will respond uh, basically immediately or should or it will have to be escalated to another method to get an immediate response. And I think that that's, that's changed a lot and that's significantly worse. That's my basic take on what's really changed. So let's talk about this idea of sort of slicing our work days into this series of fleeting work moments. This idea that basically... There's no longer time at work to do long, uninterrupted stretches of work for the reasons that you just articulated. Um, And you've written, I think, quite accurately that, you know, there's not more work to be done all of a sudden. The problem is there's hardly any uninterrupted, dedicated time to do it. Uh, Yes, I still believe that. Um, I think eight hours a day is plenty of time to get great work done if you have eight hours a day to do that work. Um, the, the problem is, is that when you have an eight hour day, but you only really have two hours to yourself and those two hours are made up of, you know, eight, 15 minute chunks or something like, like that just doesn't, it's not, it doesn't work. It's not enough time. And because we're being interrupted more frequently and because the expectations of immediate response have gone up, we're expected to drop what we're doing to do something else for somebody else whenever they want you to. 
And that leads us to having a lot less time flat out, but also far fewer moments of uninterrupted stretches of time. And it's in those uninterrupted stretches of time that you can actually get meaningful work done. Um, now, depends on what you're doing, of course. There are plenty of jobs where you can just be bouncing around. Like if you're a manager, you might just bounce around between meetings all day and you might be, your, your business or your job might be interrupting people. That's your job. I don't think that's a manager's job, but let's say a lot of managers think it is. Like, okay, fine. But if you actually have to be the one doing the work, you need uninterrupted stretches of time. So, yeah, my, my basic feeling is work, we, we, we're not taking on more work than we've ever done before. We're just, we have less time to do it. And therefore, we are pushing work into nights, pushing work into weekends. Um, and that's why we're working longer. It's because we don't have time to actually do the work during the work day. We basically said, the work day is for it being interrupted. And then outside of the work day, that's when you need to get your work done. Uh, and I think that's tragic. I think it's an epidemic, actually. I mean, maybe it's a bit overshooting, but I don't know if it really is. I mean, if it's affecting people's day-to-day -day lives outside of work, affecting their relationships, affecting a whole bunch of things, their kids' lives, whatever it is, then it is kind of an epidemic. And, and I think it needs to be – people need to, to know that it's happening and acknowledge that it's happening. And that's the first way to begin to discuss, you know, how do we change this? And something that we've seen, like at Basecamp, we're very careful about it. I think that my job as a business owner, my number one job really, ultimately, is to protect and preserve my team's time and attention. Because if I, if they don't have the time they need to do their work, then I'm taking time away from their lives. And I don't deserve that time. That's not my time. I'm not entitled to it. I pay them a salary to work about 40 hours a week, and we need to figure out a way to get all the work we need to get done in that amount of time. And so that's a good lead into, I wanted to talk to you about you guys have kind of honed in on this process of working in six weeks cycles at Basecamp that seems like it makes, you know, the workload feel manageable and also makes accomplishment feel somewhat palpable, probably. Can you describe how that process works and, and why you kind of think it keeps people motivated? Sure. So um, this has been a process of refinement over like 15 years or uh, 12, 13 years, let's say, of figuring out how best to work. And um, the reason we're continually trying to figure this out is because we treat our company as a product as well. So everybody knows that um, if you want to make a product better, you iterate on a product. Everyone, like, everyone knows that basically. Um, but I think your company is a product too. And so you need to be iterating on how your company works if you want your company to be a better place. And we've been iterating on our work style and we've kind of landed on this thing that seems to work really well, which are these six-week cycles of work. Every six weeks, we decide what to do next. Um, and in that six weeks, we typically pick about one or two projects that are going to take the full six weeks and then maybe five to eight smaller projects that are going to take anywhere from a day to a couple weeks each. And um, that comprises a six-week cycle. We call them big batch projects. Those are the ones that take the full two, six weeks and, and small batch projects which take anywhere from a day to a couple weeks. So we do that every six weeks and then we stop for a week or two and sort of pause. Not pause working, but we don't have any scheduled work during those two weeks. We just sort of internally freelance. So we figure out areas we can improve, things we want to get to, little pet projects we haven't gotten to yet, stuff that we just shipped that we're not totally thrilled with who want to tighten up, whatever it is, it's two weeks in between. And then again, we decide what to do for the next six weeks. And there's a variety of reasons for this. Number one, well, actually, this is not in any particular order. This is just what's coming to mind right now. So I'll just say number one is 
I believe that in anything you do, you should be able to see the end. Um, and you can basically see the end of six weeks. So if you're on something you don't like or if something's not going well or whatever, at the very least, you know it's almost over, even from the start, which I think is important because nothing zaps morale like long-running projects. You don't know when they're ever going to ship. They keep getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And if you're unhappy, the, the, your, your like morale just depreciates very quickly. So like at the very least six weeks of stuff you may not want to do. Now that's the worst case scenario. Um, but so there's that. There's also the fact that six weeks keeps us honest in terms of the types of ambitions we're going to take on. So we, we try not to be overly ambitious. So like what can we actually get done in six weeks? And there's a six, I believe there's a six week version of anything and there's probably a two week version of anything. And it's just good to get in the practice of making sure that you can deliver great stuff in a relatively short period of time. So things don't take three or four months or five or six months. So this way you focus on the stuff that actually truly matters and you really get to understand the problem better. If you have a lot of time to finish something, you don't really have to understand the problem as well. You can just sort of, you know, get there eventually maybe. But when you only have six weeks, you have very little time to waste. And every day matters. And so you think and you're more critical and more careful about the work you choose to do and how you choose to approach the work and how you choose to scope it and all these things. So there's that. The other thing is, is that we only, like any project we take on basically is done by a team of three or fewer people. So we keep our teams as small as we possibly can. Three is generally two programmers and one designer. Sometimes it's one program, one designer, and sometimes it's just one designer. And sometimes it's just one programmer. But three people or less can get a lot of work done in six weeks if they have a full eight hours to themselves every day. If they have a very clear idea of what they're going to get done. And they know that it's going to ship or it's not. So they have to make decisions about what matters and what doesn't. And um, the other thing that's nice about this is that we don't plan beyond six weeks, basically. We have some big picture ideas, roughly, of where we want to take things kind of in a broad sense. But every six weeks, you get to reassess re where we're at, what we want to do next. And so we're never trapped by old ideas or old decisions that we made you know, seven months ago. We're, every six weeks, it's fresh. So when people are like, what's your product roadmap? I say, we don't have one. And I mean that sincerely. We don't have a product roadmap. We know what we're working on over the next six weeks. And that's it. Um, and so those are some of the things that we do. Um, and that's what the six-week cycles are all about. Well, I'm interested in kind of digging deeper on that, right? This, you're thinking about this sort of length of time as kind of maximizing you know, people's focus and motivation and engagement with the, you know, with the project that they're working on with the business. Because I think that you know, we were talking earlier, right, about all of these interruptions and... Um, you know, I think one of the reasons we get so sucked into this busy work, checking email, checking Slack, processing Twitter notifications, whatever it is, is because it makes us feel productive, right? And if we kind of dig into the root of that, it's because it's very easy to see progress on these little tasks, whereas it's really difficult to see progress on long-term projects. Um, and even though those long-term projects are maybe more meaningful, um, and you had written in one of your posts, you know, that long, long projects are, are, more, are morale graveyards. Um, and so I feel like there's this interesting tension between kind of finding the right, uh, you know, kind of amount of time and focus so that you can feel um, that sensation of progress on work that's actually meaningful. I mean, I think there's something to that. There, there is this... I should say there's something to it. I don't think it's a good thing, but there's something to it, which is this, this feeling of like being busy means you're valuable or, or whatever. And I, I kind of understand where that comes from. Uh, I don't, I think it's 
something we need to get over. It's an ego based um, value or whatever. It doesn't feel like it's productive to me, but Mm -hmm. I I get it. Um, I think email, checking chat stuff, Twitter, whatever thing, LinkedIn, whatever it is you're looking at. um, In many cases, it's, it's um, procrastination. It's, it's actually a way not to do the work. It's a way to continue to discuss the work, to make your voice heard, to share your ideas and, and feel like you're valuable. But really, and some of that, is, of course, is important. But I think the rate at which it's, which it's done and sort of the, the, um, uh, the degree to which it's done all day long is, is, is hugely anti-productive. Um, and uh, causes a lot of things to be late and also causes you to work late and causes you to finally have to find time to do the actual work that you're tasked with doing at some point, some time. Further, I think the thing, especially about um, real-time communications at work, um, I think the thing that, that people forget is that, um, is that the more participation there is in real-time conversations all day long, the more things you feel like you have to follow, uh, the, the fear of missing out if you're not following, like all this stuff. I think, you know, um, it, it, it has this, this, this some compounding effect. When two or three people are involved in a conversation, then other two people come in because they don't want to miss out and they want to have their voice heard. All of a sudden, now you have five people getting notifications and then a few other people jump in because there's more activity and the, the unread counter goes up. And all of a sudden, you've got eight or nine people discussing something that two people should have been discussing or one person should have just made a call on. So... You, you, it pu- it's very magnetic in that it pulls people in. And I see people who use, we don't use Slack at Basecamp because we use Basecamp, but I see people, you know, walk into a coffee shop and someone has Slack up for two hours at a coffee shop. They're not actually working. They're, they're, they're jumping, but I'm watching them because I'm curious about this behavior. They're, they're jumping in between conversations all the time and they have it up on their screen. So, and it's always pulling a little bit of their attention away. And they feel like as, as the conveyor belt moves and the conversation moves away off the screen, they have to get their, their word in edgewise or they're not going to be heard. And so there's just this really, this, this I think, deleterious, difficult or uh, destructive, um, destructive is maybe a bit too, too, too strong, but like this, it destroys your focus and takes your time away and, and makes you feel like you need to participate in things that do not require your participation. And mm-hmm. that I think is, is a bad trend. And, you know, um, even we have chat in Basecamp, and when I see more more people jumping into a conversation in, in, in one of our rooms at, at Basecamp, I, I say, um, you know, I'll jump in and I'll say, hey, let's stop discussing this via chat. This is the wrong medium. Write it up in Basecamp, post a message or post a comment, and let people, you know, put your ideas together in a coherent way, not one line at a time, but instead as a coherent presentation, whatever it is that you want to put put out there, post it and let people get back to you when they're ready to. This does not need to be discussed right now. Very, very few things actually need to be discussed right now. Occasionally some things do, but most things can wait till someone else has the time to jump in. So I, I just think it's a, diff- it's a very different approach to work. Um, and if, you, like, if you're a business owner and you don't care about people's uh, time and you're okay with people working 70 or 80 hours a week, then by all means, like, you know, don't, cons- don't reconsider the way you work. But if, if, you, if you feel like, 40 hours is enough for, for your employees and for you, and that there's things that are more interesting to do outside of work than just work more and more, then I think re- reevaluating the methods in which you work and the medium in which you work and, and sort of the, the time requirements and, the, and the, the sort of immediate responses required, I think it's very important to reconsider those and, uh, and look at things differently. So 
I do think that basically it comes down to um, whose schedule is everyone else on. And if everyone else is on everyone else's schedule, meaning when someone says something, you have to stop what you're doing to respond to them. Or um, if someone can take your time by pulling off chunks of your calendar whenever they want, then if you don't have your own time, you, then, you have no, then, then you have no control over your day. When you have no control over your day, you end up working longer than you should. And it bleeds into your life. And all these things are related. And they're really small little tiny things that you, know, you can just change a couple tiny things and, and everything will change. So anyway, hopefully that makes some sense somewhere. I know it's a bit of a rant, but... I, mean, I care about this stuff. So, <laughs> No, I mean, it actually is kind of totally heading in the direction that I wanted to go in, which is thinking about this idea of hard edges, because it seems like we don't really have them in our work days anymore. You know, a hard start and a hard finish, you know, a work week and a weekend, a place, the office where we communicate with our coworkers and a place outside of work where we don't communicate with our coworkers. You know, everything kind of bleeds together, this sort of long conversation or, you know, I think you've written like a sort of endless real-time meeting. Um, I'm curious how you personally try to kind of like put hard edges in your day. And are there other things that you kind of do for your employees as, as someone running a business as well? Sure. And the thing is, by the way, is that I don't actually think it bleeds together. I think it's stolen, which is different because work, I mean, life rarely bleeds into the work day. It's work that bleeds into the life day or whatever you want to call it, the life night or the lifetime or whatever. So it's actually work that's clawing time away from life. Life doesn't get the chance. Life isn't allowed to come and claim uh, time back from work very often. So um, I want to make that clarification because I think it's an important point. It's not a a, a merging of the two. It's actually a a reduction of one in favor of the other. Um, So um, we're pretty... Uh, Milton's the wrong word, but I'll use it because uh, I can't come up with another one right now. Um, Milton about the f- uh, eight-hour day, 40-hour work week. Um, that's all we expect from people. And if we see people working longer or, or can feel like they're working longer, because we don't track hours necessarily. We don't, we don't do punch in, punch out or track time or anything like that. But it's, it's pretty clear. Um, we tell people to stop, like stop working. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, we're not, you know, People work in different time zones and people work in different times. So some people like to work a little bit later because they come, they come in earlier or later or some people like to end earlier because they come in earlier. So you have to be conscious of all that. But basically a full eight-hour day is all we expect from people. Um, no weekend work at all and no uh, nighttime work at, you know, after whenever your day ends. Um, and we're, we're careful about that. And, um, and we tell people to stop if, if they're doing that. Um, and, and I think that the, it has to start from the top. So David and I, David's my business partner, we both um, uh, do the 40-hour work week or, or even in, you know, in the summers, I should mention, we only work, everyone works about 32 hours. So we do uh, Monday through Thursday. Or if you want to take a separate day off, you could work you know, Friday, but you don't work Tuesday or whatever. So we do four-day work weeks in the summer, and that further compresses our week weeks, which is good because it further squeezes out. When you compress something, something squeezes out. And it's like it, you hopefully can squeeze out the waste, the stuff that you don't, you don't need to be doing. So it's an, another good exercise there. Um, also in Basecamp 3, the product itself, uh, when we launched Basecamp uh, 3, we, we launched a feature called Work Can Wait, which allows every single employee to set their own work schedule from within Basecamp. So you can say, like, mine is Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, for example. And outside of that window, this is automatic. So it's not like a, you have to enter into a mode at the end of the day or whatever, like a DND mode or whatever. Automatically, you set your schedule, and then 
outside of that window, Basecamp cannot send you any notifications, period. You will not hear from work. It's impossible to hear from work through Basecamp um, outside of your working hours if you set a work can wait on. And so I do that. David does that. We encourage everyone at the company to do that. We encourage all of our customers to do that. And um, it basically prevents work from getting in touch with you. Now, you can always go in if you want to check on something. If you're curious, you can do that. It doesn't prevent that. But it prevents the magnet of work from pulling you back towards it. Um, and uh, that's, that's like a, a systematic way that we've implemented in the product to bring our values into the product and also you know, encourage other, other companies to, to take on this sort of work can wait, I don't know, pledge or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and the other thing is, is that we, we, all, we constantly remind our team that, hey, there's nothing that has to happen at 9 p.m. on Wednesday that can't wait for 9 a.m. Thursday, unless it's an emergency. But emergencies should be true emergencies. They should happen, you know, once or twice a year kind of thing. It shouldn't be like every week there's an emergency. That's not an emergency. That's, that's bad work methods or whatever. Um, so we, we remind people that and we say, hey, don't worry about it. We'll get to it tomorrow. And, 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 and you know, we don't have this rushing mentality. There's not a rush. Even though we do work in six weeks, which is a short period of time, it's a calm approach. It's not a rushing approach. And if we don't get to something, we don't get to something. And, um, you know, it's not we'll get it done when it's done. We'll, we have six weeks to do it. And, and all that flows from that. So, um, I don't know. That, that's that's sort of how we approach it. So it's systematic in the product. It's it's cultural in the company. Uh, the 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 leaders in the company behave the same way. Um, we're not asking. We're not pinging people on Saturdays and Sundays asking them for things. Like if you start doing that, then you, then 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 no one believes what you have to say. So we we we, we act that out as well. That way, um, it's 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 uh, demonstrated very clearly. And what type of feedback did you guys get when you introduced that that feature in Basecamp? Um, I mean, the people who, who love it, love it. Um, the people who don't love it, don't use it. And they, they don't complain because it's totally optional. Um, people mm. have to enable it. So it's not on by default because everyone has different work hours. So we didn't want to do that. Um, but it's right. It's pretty clear how to turn it on. It's in your notification settings. It's a whole section called work can wait. It's a, the biggest kind of, a, it's a big, big section in there. It's not like fine print. Um, and, uh, and those who, who, who want it think it's great. Um, I, I can imagine there's some managers around the world who, whose employees have turned it on, who, who the managers are upset about that or whatever, but like, oh, well, the managers don't have the ability to override that. This is a personal choice. Uh, and, and I think that that's the important point, which is that um, just because a company pays you a salary does not mean they owe you or own you, I should say. They don't own you. Of course they don't own you. Um, a lot of companies and managers act as if they do, but they do not. Um, they're buying we believe about 40 hours of your time, a full-time job, and that's it. And so you should have the right and the freedom to say no to work outside of those hours. And if Basecamp can help prevent those requests off hours from getting to you, then all the better. Um, now, some people might say, well, what if, you know, what if I really need to get a hold of someone? Then just call them on the phone. Or, or it, you can get a hold of someone some other way if you absolutely positively need to. But it's a good reminder that you know, then you have to go through the extra effort. And then you can start to stop yourself and go, do I, do I really want to call this person 11 at night? Like I might ping them at 11 at night because it's no big deal, but do I really want to call them? And it's a, it's a good moment to think about what you're about to do. And I think that hopefully that has some influence on, uh, on managers around, around the world who use, who use Basecamp and, and helps them sort of just reconsider what they're about to do when they want to grab someone off hours. 
We're going to pause for a quick break now to thank our sponsors. But stay tuned because Jason and I get into some great stuff after the jump, like how to set boundaries so that you can call it a day at a reasonable hour, and why ditching shared calendars so that people actually have to ask for a meeting face-to-face makes everyone happier. This episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox. People who know me well know that I am passionate about email. Or rather, I am passionate about how much I despise email as a workplace distraction, one that eats up great gobs of our attention which could be better spent on more meaningful work. So the question is, what would you do if you got that time and attention back? What would you do with two more hours each week? What about four more hours? That's how much time SaneBox saves their average user every single week. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and makes keeping it that way forever super easy. It also has some sweet features like one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails into the aptly named black hole, and automatic tracking of messages that haven't received replies yet so you can see what needs following up. See how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash hurry slowly today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash hurry slowly. This episode is also brought to you by Hover. Got a killer idea? I think we all know what step number one is these days. Go see if the domain name is available and assuming it is, get that URL on lock. Finding the domain name that matches your passion is basically the first step in building your brand. Because if your brand doesn't have a website, let's be honest, it's not really a thing. Fortunately, Hover makes being the master of your domain easy. They have a mind-boggling amount of extensions to choose from, including all the classics, plus some niche ones that I'd never heard of, like .pro and .vc, or my personal favorite, .wtf. But one of the best features of Hover is that everything is included, so they're not always trying to upsell you. Whois privacy is included with every domain for free. The overall user interface is refreshingly clean. And nifty integrations like Hover Connect make it super easy to connect your domain to popular services like Squarespace, Shopify, and Tumblr with just a few clicks. So if you've got an idea that you're passionate about, start laying the groundwork by heading over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. As a manager yourself, how do you structure your time to make sure you kind of have those hard edges in there and also that you're, you know, obviously like respecting your employees, you know, need to kind of stay focused. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something I'm just very comfortable with, which is like, you know, calling it a day at five or whatever, five thirty or it depends. Like, but basically calling it a day I'm done. Um, I work and wait turns on. So I, my, my day ends at five with, with base camp. So I, I don't get notifications outside of that. Um, and I, I just believe that that's enough. I've put in enough work, and by the end of the day, I'm satisfied with the work I've done. I think when you're not satisfied with the work you've done because you haven't done any of it, that, then you feel like I've got to work longer. But if you've, you know, if you've put in a, a good day's work, um, you know, people know what it feels like to put a good day's work in. You're, at the end of the day, you're like, I, I, I'm done. This, I'm good. Like I need to rest now, or whatever. Like it just, it's a natural feeling when you get there and you're used to it. So that's. That's kind of how we do it, um, and uh, um, you know, it helps. Like David and I both have kids too, so we have to you know go home and see our kids before they go to sleep. So there's that, mm-hmm. which is a nice, really nice um, further uh, sort of emphasis on on the workday ends. 
but even before that, um, it's the same thing. It's like when you, when you're done with your day, you're ready to go home and that's a really good feeling. And that's, it's a very natural feeling. Um, I don't think a lot of people get to feel it, but when you do, it's like, ah, okay, we're done. This is good. And you don't feel bad and you don't feel bad checking with checking in after hours cause you don't need to, and you're done. You're ready for the, to sleep it off and, and wake up the next morning and, and go do it again. Um, it's a very satisfying kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I, wanted to ask you specifically kind of how you think about defining literally, right, what is enough, but you've sort of, sort of just articulated it. I mean, I think that, but I think that's something that people really struggle with now. And maybe it's because I, you know, on some level you have to um, define it in advance or set some boundaries in advance in order to feel like you have some concept of what enough is, right? Because there's always more email or, you know, requests or other things that you could, you know, potentially respond to. So it seems like in a way, like we kind of have to be a little bit more proactive about setting boundaries so that it is a little bit more clear what enough is for us personally or, or for a business. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. If you, it's work either way. So you're either going to do more work or you're going to do the work of not doing the work, right? So if you're, if you're used to working long, long, long hours, then you have to do the work not to work those long hours. So it's work either way. I just think that there's, there's, a, there's a, a long-term, more sustainable, uh, one of those is long-term and more sustainable, which is get better at boundaries, get better at saying no, and get better at feeling comfortable with not responding to something till tomorrow morning. Um, and if that's work for you, then, then that's, a good, that's good exercise. If it's, um, if, it's, if it's easy for you, then all the better. But um, you're going to be doing something one way or the other. Um, and I think it takes discipline. It takes some time. And not everyone's great at it. And some people just don't feel like they have permission to, it, to do it because their manager or their boss or their owner or whatever demands something from them. And if they demand something from them and they don't do it, then they feel like, well, I'm going to get fired because I, you know, I get all that. Like that's, I understand those pressures. I, I'm not oblivious to that reality. I know a lot of people live in that world. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that you've got to figure out a way to um, work within those boundaries, within those, those requirements. And, you know, one way to do it is to, is to slowly not get back to, to your manager um, or your boss instead of just dropping, you know, going cold turkey, not getting back at all at 501. You know, just say like, hey, um, you could say things like, hey, we're, you know, we're going out for dinner um, and I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. And they might say, cool. Like, they might just say, cool. You might expect that they wouldn't say cool, but they might go, oh, that's cool. All right, talk to you tomorrow or whatever. Like, this, this under, this, the, we have this expectation that because someone asks for something, we must do it. Mm. But you can also push back. At, you're an adult. You can say, hey, you know, I, I've got something else to do tonight. Um, or I'm busy or whatever. I'm going out with my wife or my husband or my partner or my kids or my friends or whatever. Like, I've got something else going on tonight. I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. And if this if the manager or boss or whatever is, has a, has a modicum of respect for a human being, they'll, they'll go, okay, that's cool. I get that. Um, or maybe it's an occasional ask and, and, and maybe you feel like you want to, you want to contribute if it's just a quick thing or it's an occasional thing. But if it's all the time, you've got to push back yourself. You've got to say, this is just not acceptable and you got to figure out a way to do it. Depending on who your manager is, you have to figure out the right language and the right, right approach. But, um, just because they pay you, you, you don't, they don't deserve anything they want from you. And you have to begin to understand that. And you have to be able to push back on this. This is just like workers' rights basic stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think, I think, you know, I, I was really pleased, even though I'm typically not like a big fan of, of, um, of, of, of like laws or regulations coming, coming into, um, telling people how to run their lives and whatnot. But I think, I think it's France, I believe that passed a law recently that says, um, workers, I might be getting this wrong, but I think, I think I roughly have it right. Workers are not required to respond to emails on the weekends or something like that. Like there's just some law now that the, that mm-hmm. the, the worker can fall back on and go, Hey, look, I don't have to do this. Like they have some support now from their government before they were on their own, right? Which is sort of how a lot of people are here. They're on their own. If their boss asks for something, they feel like they have to do it. Now, now in France, people can go like, look, I don't have to do that. And you can't fire me because of it. And I, I, I like that. I think that at some, at some points in history, um, at, at some moments, there needs to be something that you can lean on to make a decision uh, without fear. And I like that that's happening, I think, in France, if I got that right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's cool. And I, I mean, again, like I typically wouldn't be in favor of that sort of thing, but, but, I, but I am here because this is basic quality of life stuff. And if you don't have your life to yourself and your, your, your boss can take it from you whenever they want, like what kind of life is that? What, what, how is that a good thing for anybody really? Like you could say it's good for productivity, but like whatever. What, like wh- why do we worship this altar of productivity? And actually it's not really productivity. It's just like it's sheer force of time. You know, you know we can yeah. accomplish a lot of things if we throw 80 hours a week into it for a certain period of time. Like that's not actually being productive. Being productive is probably getting a lot of work done in 40 hours. That's what pr- productivity really is. Um, I think there's actually a, a, people misunderstand that. They think like being productive means just getting a lot of stuff done. It actually doesn't. It means getting, I think, a lot of stuff done or some things done well in a relatively reasonable amount of time. That's what being productive actually is all about. So anyway, I'm ranting again, but um, – <laughs> And now I've kind of forgot the original question, but hopefully there's something in there that was a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is. Now okay. you're reminding me. I just I just before our call, I was reading this interview with the uh, film director Christopher Nolan, and he says uh, he said, you know, I, I don't fret about what I've done in a particular day as long as I've made progress by the end of the week, which I feel like is like a pretty, you know, kind of healthy perspective on that because sometimes we get a little too focused on, you know, short term gains at the expense of you know, kind of taking the long view or a more holistic view, I guess. That's a great, I hadn't heard that, but I like that a lot, which is, you know, at the end of the day, everyone is just simply trying to make progress. Like that's what we're all trying to do in life, at work, whatever, in relationships, you're trying to make progress. You're trying to get, get somewhere. Um, and I like the thought of like not measuring it day to day necessarily, but you know, how, how do you feel, you know, I mean, of course, like, you don't want that to turn into like I do nothing for four days and do something for one day because then it's procrastination. And then you're you're packed in. But I don't think that's what he means. He's like, look, some days are better than others. Some days I'm more productive than others. Some days I'm just on a roll. Other days I'm just I'm in a funk. Like, let me look back on a weekly basis and go, how how did I do this week? And I think that that's a really nice pattern. I think that's a really healthy healthy pattern, and and, and I like that quite a bit. I also think you, know, you can look at countries like I think Germany is a good example of this. I believe in Germany, they're pretty, pretty hardcore about 40 hour work weeks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're a highly productive society. I mean, they make some of the, they're, they're known for their engineering. They make some of the most amazing cars uh, in the world. I mean, they've got BMW and Audi and Mercedes and Porsche and probably a few others that I'm not naming. 
Um, these are some of the best car manufacturers and best built cars and best designed cars in the world, and they do it on 40-hour work weeks. Um, and if you've ever worked with anybody in Germany, you know they take their work very seriously, and, and they also have a good life. Um, and so it's, it's totally possible. All this stuff is totally possible. Um, it's, it's just that, like, I think in the United States specifically, we've lost sight of, of that. And we just think that life is there for the taking for a work, work can take life away versus, versus yeah. the other way. Well, around. yeah. And I have some, I think you're absolutely right about Germany. I have some friends, um, in Cologne that I remember chatting with and they were talking about their perception of, you know, the way people work in America versus there. And, you know, they were kind of like, yeah, we, we work 40 hours, but when we're work, like all I do is work, you know, I'm not looking at Facebook, like I'm not checking my personal Gmail, you know, I'm just working. And then that means then I can go home at five and, you know, I can have my life and I can, you know, check my personal Gmail later if I want to, or do whatever I want to do with my time. Um, which feels like a very different perspective than, than I think most Americans have. It does. And, and I think though, sometimes like Americans think that like America, um, well, we, we, you know, we are the most productive and we make the most stuff and whatever, like, but I think you can look at Germany as a great example. Germany's a huge country, very advanced in all the way, and far more advanced than the United States in a variety of ways. Um, their, their manufacturing and their engineering is, is second to none. Um, and they do 40 hours. And it's like, what is it that, why can't we do that? Like, what, what is our, what is our problem over here? Like, wh- why, <laughs> like, th- to me, that's the model to, 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 to strive for. Um, and I love that, that, that it's, it's not fictitious. It's not this false idea. It's yeah. a real thing in a real country, a country that's driving Europe forward. Um, it's taking on the brunt of responsibility of Europe's woes in a lot of ways. And, and they, um, and they're still doing 40 hours and still churning out wonderful, wonderful things. Um, so, you know, it's all possible. It's a matter of priorities, a matter of values, a matter of respect, it's a matter of valuing life as well, um, and more so than work, and all those things. So um, it, it's not going to change overnight, but um, it, I hope I hope we can all point in that direction. Yeah. When I was thinking about this idea, you know, I, th- I feel like we replaced the idea of working hard with the idea of working smarter. And maybe it's because you know we've kind of shifted to doing you know most people do knowledge work rather than doing you know manual labor, work with our hands. But it feels to me like this idea of working smarter is sort of insidious because it kind of brings with it this implication that everything could be done more efficiently, that we could always sort of, you know, wring more productivity out of every single hour or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't even, I don't really like the term working smarter and there's like working smarter, not harder. And there's like that whole turn of phrase or whatever. Um, I don't like it really because, um, I don't even know what it means. Um, I'm not sure people really know what it means. Um, I think the most important thing is to figure out what really matters and be good at, at, at making trade-offs around and, and recon, you know, considering the work that you're doing and wondering if it's actually worthwhile. That's mm-hmm. sort of the most important thing. Um, if you get three great hours of work in a day and you worked on really worthwhile stuff and you saved yourself four hours of doing stupid stuff, like that's a good day too. Like it's not mm-hmm. that you have to fill up your eight hours even. I'm, when I say eight hours, I mean like eight hours is a max. And let's face it, no one's actually working eight hours a day. Like they're not. You're not actually putting in a full eight hours of flat out work in most cases. Like there's gaps, there's pauses. You need to reconsider. You take a lunch break. Maybe you just break for some other time. Whatever it is. Like 
it's just more about like, did you get done? Did you get things done today that mattered? Or did you just endlessly respond to 40 questions um, that people have that didn't need your response? Like, that's what I think a lot of people's days have become is like response. It, it's, it's, it's not work so much. It's responding. It's discussing. It's, it's this constant chatter that's just mostly unnecessary. There's just so much unnecessary conversation going on, I think, inside companies these days. And there's this, there's this notion that more communication is good and that more collaboration is good. I don't think that's true at all. I think that less is probably better, actually. I think that... Um, like there should be bursts of collaboration, bursts of, of working together, and there should be a lot more solo, heads down, focus on your own work time than this like constant need for churning ideas around. A, mm-hmm. a lot of people are looking for consensus, and, and I actually think people should be looking more for a commitment. And I, I like the, something that Jeff Bezos said uh, in his latest shareholder letter. I forget exactly how he put it, so I'm going to probably botch it. But he, he likes to believe in this idea of, of disagreeing and committing versus trying to achieve consensus. Mm-hmm. He says it's a lot easier if people put great ideas on the table and everyone considers them and someone makes a decision and then a bunch of people can agree to like to agree to disagree but commit to the new direction than to try and pull eight people in the same direction and 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 get them all to agree. Like it's better for someone just to make a call and then for everyone to get behind that person and and, and move forward. And and uh and that's kind of how we look at things which is like you know, one of the problems with, with having conversations all day is, is people are trying to get people on their side. Um, and they're trying to get to yes, a bunch of people to say yes and agree. Otherwise, it, it devolves in this constant dis- debate. And, and you, you should debate for a little bit, and then you should commit. Someone may, needs to make a call and commit and move forward. Otherwise, you just end, you end up going into these endless conversations that never, never seem to, to go anywhere. So, um, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of this idea of like everyone putting their ideas on the table and discussing them for a little bit and then someone making a decision and then getting down to work mm. versus constantly like, you know, trying to work it to find the right thing where everyone agrees. So that's another thing I think is important. I think that's going on too much in companies is this sort of endless collaboration and discussion. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like that's just growing and growing and growing and taking up all this time and space. But at the same time, you know, do, doing the actual work that we need to do takes the, the amount of time that takes doesn't decrease, right? I think about there's this um, quote that I love from um, this author, Lewis Hyde. I don't know if you've um, seen it. He wrote this book called The Gift. And um, one of the things he says is there's no technology, no time saving device that can alter the rhythms of creative labor. And when mm-hmm. the worth of labor is expressed in terms of exchange value, Therefore, creativity is automatically devalued every time there's an advance in the technology of work. Um, and I feel like that's so true. Like our sort of creativity and our ability to focus at work is almost under assault, you know, and we keep feeling like, I don't know, all these advances make us feel like somehow we should be able to more efficiently do this creative work, but it still takes the same amount of time, you know, and now it's just competing with like a million other things. Yeah, I think that technology, for the most part, is it doesn't help us get more work done, really, uh, anymore. I think it did. I think it did, like, when we went from, like, you know, the phone to email, that was a big leap. Uh, and I think, like, no video conferencing to video conferencing, big leap. I think there's been 
a good number of leaps that allow us to do things that we couldn't do before. That I think is really interesting, but I don't think that, um, for example, I don't think sitting in meetings all day long is, is a productive way to spend your time for most people. And I think that sitting in chat rooms is like being in an all day meeting. And I think that that's made work harder for a lot of people, actually not easier. There, there's a, there's an illusion that it's been, it's become easier because we're able to reach each other easier or more easily. But I actually think it should be a little bit harder to reach people, not a little bit easier. I think it's easy enough. And in fact, you can go over the, the wall here and it's now it's a little bit too easy. And so now we're just bothering each other all day long. Now, it's not malicious. We're not intending to do this, but it's something that you just end up doing because it's easy. And I have the same thing about calendars. So uh, Basecamp, the company, our company runs a little bit differently than most and that we don't have any shared calendars shared individual personal calendars. So I cannot see David's calendar. He cannot see mine. I cannot see uh, Anne's calendar. She cannot see mine. We cannot see each other's calendars because we don't have personal calendars that are in the business. And the reason we don't have those is because I don't want people to be able to see my time and take it away from me. If you can see someone else's time and calendaring systems make it super easy to claim somebody's time, you just like click a block and you get it. I mean, you basically don't get it. You have to send someone an invite. Almost everyone accepts them because if you don't accept and you're not a team player, this is like the, the, this is what happens in companies, right? So you accept them basically. And now we're in a culture of everyone else taking each other's time one block at a time. We're playing calendar Tetris basically. You look at people's calendars. It's like colored blocks. We're trying to fit all this stuff together. And that is another fundamental thing that like it's become easier to take other people's time and we think that's an, an advancement, but it's not. It's a regression. Um, and so we try to avoid that problem by not allowing anyone else to see anyone else's calendar. So if you want to get someone's time, you have to actually ask them at Basecamp. Not ask them through a system, but you actually have to ask them. I mean, you can send them an instant message, but you still have to say, hey, um, Natasha, hey, 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 Lisa, hey, Brian, whatever it is. Um, Hey, are you free tomorrow at three um, for like 20 minutes? I want to run something by you. You actually have to talk to somebody. You have to ask them versus taking it and having a system confirm that that's okay. It's a very different thing. And, and I think, so I think that these, these, these technological advances, and they are advances in terms of technology, um, but I don't think they serve people that well, to be honest. And so I think it's important to, to say, this is, you know, occasionally go, this is not better for us. This is maybe better for technology. And it's, it's cool that you can do this and it's slick and all these things, but is it actually better for us? And this is what I meant when I talked about earlier, when I was talking about our, we see our company as a product too, you know, whenever, like whenever you add a feature to a product, you typically think about like, is this better for the product? What are the costs of this feature? Like, what does this make easier? What does this make harder? In a lot of companies, those questions aren't being asked. You just do. Like, oh, we have a new calendaring system. Now we're all going to use this. It's like, well, not like, well, is this actually a good feature to add to our business? And I think you have to start thinking about things. When you think about things that way, you, 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 you have a chance to discuss them and, 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 and consider them and maybe say, no, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be adding this. This is not making our company actually better. So um, technology has its place, and there are advancements, obviously, you know, um, but um, not everything it does is good. A lot of things it does is, is not particularly good. 
And I think it's important for human beings to reconsider their use of technology in different ways in different places and really and really figure out if it's if it's serving them or or pushing pushing against them. I think Jason really got to the heart of the matter in his final statement. Asking how technology is serving us or working against us is perhaps the most important question we can ask ourselves at this particular moment in time. There's a saying that tools make excellent servants, but very poor masters. And I think we've really allowed our tools to become our masters. We bow down to the master of email, or the master of Slack, or the master of Twitter or Facebook, without ever asking, is this technology really serving me? Is it making me happier or healthier? Is it helping me to work in a better way? If we want to find more balance, beginning to ask these types of questions to make a practice of interrogating our own working habits is the first step toward change. As I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the other topics I'm obsessed with is how getting back into your body impacts your well-being and your creativity. I'll be digging into that next week in conversation with Florence Williams, a wonderful writer who's the author of the book, The Nature Fix. Among other things, you'll learn why getting out in nature, or even just your local park, is basically the ultimate antidote for burnout. It can turn off your task-oriented brain, it can reduce negative thinking, and it can boost your creativity and your sense of time affluence. We also get into some edgier trends in healing the body through nature, like, quote-unquote, forest bathing. The conversation is literally jam-packed with insights about reconnecting with the natural world and sparking creativity. So do tune in next week if you can. And if you'd like to get updates when new episodes come out, you can sign up for the Hurry Slowly newsletter at the podcast website at hurryslowly.co. That's hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. And now, it's time for your final moment of zen. What's the key ingredient in work-life balance? We think about how much time we put into work. Um, and I think it's valuable to think about how much time we put into life. And so, like, if we're like, well, I work 60-hour weeks, it's like, well, wh- how many hours a week do you live? It's not something that can be carved out. It's something that you do. Um, mm-hmm. You you have to you have to live, otherwise, like something else will take its place. This show was produced by Matt Susich, who has been an invaluable ally in getting this podcast to launch. Our theme music, Calm Revelation, was created by Devin Craig Johnson. Huge thanks as well to all of my first listeners who gave me feedback on early editions of this podcast, which eventually led me to completely change my approach at the last minute before launch. Oh, the creative process. If you enjoyed the show and it sparked some new insights, I would hugely appreciate it if you shared it with friends or left a rating on iTunes. Life is not a popularity contest. I know this, but let's be honest, every gold star helps. Thanks for joining us and remember to take your time. Thank you.